Hey, I'm Lauren, and I'm going to talk to you today about how to get comfortable shipping imperfect products. But before I talk about how to get comfortable, I want to first talk about why we need to get comfortable in the first place. So let's start with a universal truth. Shipping a product is terrifying. No matter how many times you've done it before, releasing a new product into the world is one of the most nerve-wracking experiences. But what makes it so scary? Well, for, the one, um, for one thing, uh, your reputation is on the line. When we build a product, a lot of times we do so behind closed doors. We're like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. But the second we ship that product and we get it in front of real people, all of a sudden, they can judge it. And by judging that product, we often feel like they're judging us. So that can be a really tough pill to swallow. But sometimes what's even harder to swallow is it's really hard to ship a product if you've got an established brand. The stakes are a lot higher, right? The product can sometimes represent a statement about the future of your brand, and sometimes it can jeopardize years of a brand's reputation that you've spent so much time building. So while putting our personal or our brand reputation in the spotlight can be really intimidating, I don't think it's the root of what makes us so scared of shipping products that aren't perfect. I think it's actually that we're scared of getting it wrong. Um, this fear of getting it wrong, it's what makes us add additional features to our MVP. It's what takes us from what should have been a four-week release date to an eight-week release date. And when we launch a product, we're, we're really scared of getting it wrong. We feel compelled to get it right the first time, right? Because that's what we hear on TechCrunch. That's what experts do. Experts always get it right the first, the first time. So we're here today because we're all experts in something, but we're also here today because we want to learn how to get products to market faster and reduce risk and validate our findings with real users. It's quite a juxtaposition when you think about it. How do you reconcile being an expert and needing to get it right with needing to be lean and shipping imperfect products? Well, the only solace that I can offer you is I can teach you how I learned to get more comfortable shipping products. And that was by learning how to be a scientist instead of an expert. So as an expert, I needed to rely on my experience, and I needed to rely on my intuition. But most importantly, I needed to be right. After all, my, my expertise was on the line, right? My reputation, my brand, my company's brand. But scientists, when you think, on the other hand, they don't have to be right the first time. And in fact, they don't even need to be right at all. Scientists need to prove objectively whether their hypothesis is true or false. Success for a scientist is getting a concrete answer, whether or not it's right or wrong. Because whether the experiment winds up being true or false, scientists have learned something. So I'd like to tell you a story about how being a scientist helped me get over my fear of shipping an MVP that wasn't perfect. And after that, I'm going to give you some tips on how you can be a better scientist and hopefully get more comfortable shipping things that aren't perfect. So first, my story. I shipped a product that wasn't perfect. I got tasked to build a content management system for a team of video producers. And the producers create content that gets overlaid on streaming video. So if the video content is about Derek Jeter, the, or sorry, if the video segment is about Derek Jeter, the content might be a tweet or it might be uh, an article about the new Yankees shortstop. So the content in the video, they all wind up in an, in an app where you can stream a live video and see the content overlaid on it. And it's, it's actually pretty cool stuff. 
So back to, back to my story. The first thing we did was we interview our, interviewed our users, in this case, the video producers. We learned that they were really anxious about the system that they were building, because when they create content, they're creating content for live video. So it's very important that they stay ahead of the streaming video. And they were really worried that the system we were building was going to be too slow or too cumbersome, and they wouldn't be able to stay ahead of the broadcast. So we captured this sentiment, and we headed back to the office and got back to work. And we made a list of must-have features. And in this case, because it's a content management system, it's basically just letting them create, edit, and delete content. So we decided those were our only must-haves for these producers to be able to do their jobs. And we began to build working software next. That was our next step. Uh, our MVP was a really basic application. You could create, edit, and delete content. And it, didn't, it had pretty minimal design. But probably most notably, it didn't have features that helped the users create content faster. We built it in just about five weeks. And we were really excited that we built it so fast we could get it in front of users. And then right around week four, something happened. I panicked. I knew that producers needed to stay ahead of the show, but our MVP didn't have any specific features that would let them create content faster, that would let them stay ahead of the show. So when we had interviewed them, they had suggested things like drag and drop or keyboard shortcuts so they could move faster. But we didn't build that. We didn't build anything to concede to them. We just built a simple MVP. So I was panicking because I was worried that the producers wouldn't be able to stay in front of the show using the software that we had built. And what would that mean for my reputation as a consultant? What would that mean for my reputation as a product manager? So does this sound familiar? I realized that the expert in me was taking over. And I realized that while the producers had expressed a fear that the MVP wouldn't let them stay ahead of the show, we actually hadn't proved that. We hadn't proved anything. They hadn't even seen the software yet. So it was the expert in me who was scared that our MVP wasn't enough. And it was the expert in me that was scared that the producers couldn't get the job done unless we built them more features. So this expert made me solve a problem before it even existed. And just as we set out to build more features, I realized this expert had taken over, but I needed to be a scientist. I needed to validate objectively whether or not the producers could stay ahead of the show using the MVP we'd already built. I needed to prove whether our hypothesis was true or false. So we shipped it. Uh, we gathered the producers in a room, and we asked them to create eight hours worth of content on our, or on our MVP. And spoiler alert, they were able to stay ahead of the live show the entire time. So they popped a bottle of champagne that night, and we popped a bottle of champagne. We were ecstatic because we had objectively proved that our MVP was good enough for them to get the job done. We had scientifically proven that we'd solved need to have. But we still had a whole bunch of work to do. It was not perfect by any stretch. When they used our MVP for the first time, we actually stuck a video camera in there and recorded how long it would take them to complete specific tasks. We also made a count of how many problems they ran into and how many times they ran into those problems. So by the end of the session, we had a list of the biggest and most frequent problems in our MVP, and we had a benchmark for improvement. That was a great starting point. So this meant we could start solving nice-to-have. And we set to work building features that improved the speed at which users could create content. 
We delivered those features in about 10 days, and we asked the users to create eight hours worth of content again. Not only did our new features save them a full hour a day in content creation, but saving them that money allowed them to delay hiring another producer for the rest of the year. So let's recap. I shipped an imperfect product. I got really scared that the product wasn't perfect. And then I reminded myself to be a scientist. And being a scientist let me objectively prove that our MVP was successful and that we'd solve for need to have. So that's how being a scientist taught me to be more comfortable shipping an imperfect product. And now I'd like to share some tips with you on how you can be a better scientist and get more comfortable shipping things that aren't perfect. Scientists, like we said, they're not scared to ship imperfect products. And good scientists practice a number of habits to make sure that they can prove that their product is actually solving a problem for their users. So I'm going to give you some tips on this. And the first tip is to make sure that you test like a boss. Um, I've never met a boss who doesn't want to reduce risk, and testing is a great way to reduce risk. Testing smaller pieces of your product before you ship it reduces the number of unvalidated assumptions before you ship. So if you've tested along the way, there won't be any uncertainty left, and therefore, there's no reason to be scared. So how do you make sure you're testing like a boss? Uh, one is to practice testing on something you haven't built yet. User interviews and user testing aren't a skill that come naturally to very many people. You tend to apologize or make excuses for things that aren't there. You say things like, sorry, that's not where that link is supposed to go, or don't click there, I'm sorry, click here. So in order to make sure you can conduct objective testing when you are testing on your own product, it's really helpful to start on something that isn't yours. So do demo Wikipedia to a friend of yours, or do usability test on Uber. Whatever it is, practice the craft on something that you're not emotionally invested in. So by the time you test on your own product, you will be a much more comfortable and scientific tester. The next point is to make sure you test as soon as you can communicate a basic idea. Experts tend to be really hesitant to show anything to anyone unless it's absolutely perfect. But scientists test as soon as they can communicate an idea. So put your unfinished work in front of people and get feedback now, whether it's a napkin sketch that you're asking if someone can explain to their friend, or whether it's a wireframe and you're asking if the flow makes sense, or a clickable mock-up and you're asking if it's usable. In any case, testing work before it's perfect helps you catch problems faster. So be a good scientist and make sure you test as soon as you can communicate an idea. And the last point is make sure you test reg regularly. This actually enforces the point of testing so you can communicate an idea, because you're getting something imperfect out there on a regular schedule. At Pivotal Labs, we actually host something called Think Aloud Thursdays. We bring in three users for 30 minutes apiece every single Thursday. We source them on Craigslist. We schedule them via TaskRabbit. And anyone in the office can sign up to get fresh eyes on their product. It gives us a huge advantage, because it means only four business days can go by before we've tested something we're working on. And it gets us in the habit of saying, I don't really know, but I can find out quickly. So make sure you're testing regularly. So let's recap. Scientists practice testing on things that aren't theirs. They test with incomplete and imperfect work and they test regularly. 
So now that you know a little bit more about how and when to test, let's talk about how to capture those results more objectively. And scientists need to gather feedback objectively. And a lot of times, user testing is really hard. Like I said, you tend to apologize. You tend to ignore things that you don't want to hear. But scientists need to capture data objectively because you need to make sure that you're validating yourself, right? You need to get data so that you can measure. Um, so the first step on this is not, not to ask leading questions. There's a great book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. And in it, Rob talks about the difference between these two scenarios. Hey, mom, I just built an iPad app. And I've been working on it for six months. Would you pay 20 bucks for it? Of course she's going to say yes. She's your mom. But what if you said, hey, mom, what was the last cookbook app that you bought for your iPad? Oh, you've never bought one. OK, can you tell me why? So the point is that in the second scenario, your mom just invalidated six months of your work. She insulted you. But she didn't even know it because you didn't ask a leading question. Rob goes on to suggest that people are much more honest when discussing past actions and what motivated those actions than they are talking about hypothetical situations. Turns out no one really wants to call your baby ugly. My last point on testing, sorry, my second point on testing is make sure you're recording user feedback verbatim. There's a really big difference between the emotion that a user expresses the first time they encounter a problem in your product, and then your impression of that emotion three weeks after the fact. So make sure you capture feedback verbatim, because it keeps you honest and it keeps you objective. One thing I like to do is record each piece of feedback verbatim on an individual Post-it note. And I put those all on a big whiteboard, and I start to group them by theme. It's a process known as affinity mapping, and it actually leads to my next point, which is to prioritize by frequency. When you do user testing, it's really tempting to solve the most recent problem you've heard. I just hung up the phone with Bobby, and he has a really hard time finding the Save button. So you run back to your team, and you're like, we need to fix the Save button right now. Um, but scientists need to be more objective than this. One of the advantages to methods like affinity mapping is that it literally lets you see the largest problem in your, in your product by volume of Post-it notes. You then have a clear list of the biggest problems. Another way to prioritize uh, by frequency is to make a list of the problems that you think you're likely to run into when you're doing user testing. And then you can count the number of unique instances that those problems, in, that those problems uh, unique instances that users encounter those problems. So I guarantee you'll find a few surprises, right? This will let you say, for example, that seven out of eight people missed the Save button, but only one out of eight people had trouble getting back to the home page. So now that you sort of know how to, um, how to gather feedback objectively and how to test, you have a pretty good sense for what the biggest and most frequent problems are in your product. And the next step is to go back and build something that solves one of those problems. So that's what my last tip has to deal with. And that's to validate every time you build something. Because after they build, scientists need to prove that they've actually solved the problem. Um, one thing I notice a lot is that experts tend to follow the pattern on the right. They learn about a problem, and they build, and they build, and they build until they feel like they have a perfect solution. It's totally natural. The expertise, their expertise lays in their, or lies in their ability to anticipate user problems and to solve them before they happen. But experts are 
a lot of time solving problems before they actually happen. They're preemptive. So that just increases the risk that your product is compiling unvalidated assumptions. And this is how it was with my MVP, right? I just wanted to keep building features to help the users go faster, when really I just needed to learn if the MVP we'd already built was good enough. So make sure you, be a, make sure you act like a scientist and you validate every time you build. So don't break the build, measure, learn cycle, and don't skip the validation. And here's another reason not to skip the validation. It's that you can't validate everything at once. Um, a lot of times, designers talk about products as having three different life cycles, functional, usable, and delightful. But the trick in that is that you can't validate if something is delightful unless you've already validated that it's functional and that it's useful. And furthermore, when you try to build something that's both delightful and functional at the same time, a lot of times you confuse the users as to what the function was in the first place. So remember, if you can't validate it all at once, or sorry, remember that you can't validate it all at once. And this is why scientists rely so heavily on the build, measure, learn cycle. We can scientifically determine piecemeal whether something has solved for functional and then useful and then delightful. Which brings me to my last point, which is even if you think you know the answers, you should validate anyway. When I shipped my MVP, I thought I knew what the users, that I thought I knew that the users were going to say creating content was slow. And when we tested our MVP with them, that was their biggest complaint, that creating content was slow. So learning, that there's an important lesson in here, and that learning what I thought I was going to learn wasn't failure. It was validation. It gave me objective and scientific proof that speed was the top problem that my users were having. And that's the kind of proof I want to build my reputation on. So even if you think you know what you're going to hear, Test anyway, because it's the scientific thing to do. So let's recap. Scientists don't skip the learning. They don't validate all at once. And they test even if they think they know the answers. So that's all the tips I have for you today. And I want to go over them one more time. Remember, you can be a better scientist by testing like a boss, gathering feedback objectively, and validating every time you build. And if there's one thing I want you to take away today, it's that we can all be scientists. Scientists aren't scared to ship things that aren't perfect. And in taking steps to be a better scientist, you can pay down the risk of your product before you ship it, and you can objectively prove that you are adding value to your users. We can all be scientists. And if you feel the need to let that expert creep in, well, maybe you should become an expert in applying the science to your product development process. Thank you.